It, it is a great uh, delight to be able to come and share God's Word with you today. And as we do that, we'll look at Psalm 16, Psalm 16, uh, and we're going to reflect today on trusting God for protection, provision, and perfection. Uh, but let's, let's reflect on how we're going to trust God for, uh, for His protection, His provision, and His perfection. And so if you have your Bible, I'll be reading from the ESV. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant word, our only rule for faith and practice. Psalm 16. A mitcom of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isaiah reminds us that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we ask your blessing upon your word. We pray that by your spirit and through your word, you would transform our minds, that you would soften our hearts, and that you would change us from the inside out. But we ask it in Jesus' blessed name, amen and amen. Uh, remember in 2007, Summer and I were struck with the news that Owen Wilson, uh, the famous actor, attempted suicide. I don't know if any of you have uh, seen his movies, but we watched uh, uh, his movies and, and loved uh, Shanghai Nights and some of that series that he did, uh, Night at the Museum, uh, loved that and his character there, uh, Enemy of the State. Uh, but a lot of his characters uh, are, are more comic and com comedic driven, right? And I just remember us thinking, you know, here is this guy, this famous movie star, uh, who surely has tons of money, knows tons of influential people. Uh, he's always making other people laugh. How could he be so unhappy uh, that he tries to take his own life? And so it, 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 it's interesting. Uh, a family member found him, saved him. This is what the family member said. Owen is in bad mental shape, but said that he is thankful to be alive. He knows he came close to ending his life, and he is happy that he was saved from himself. I thought it was interesting how that was phrased, that he was thankful that he was saved from himself. And how often does God do that for us? 
And how many of us struggle with loneliness, discouragement, disappointment, abandonment? Uh, As a Christian, have you wrestled with that? I don't think any of us are immune to that. And if you look through the pages of Scripture, we see a common theme in the life of even the greatest believers, whether it's David or Abraham, uh, whether it's Job or Moses, whether it's the disciples. Uh, we all struggle at times with discouragement and disappointment. Uh, we just sang uh, about our need for Jesus, and we sang, Without You. I'll fall apart. And we sang, and when I cannot stand, I will fall upon you. And so as we think about living the Christian life and and how to live the Christian life with joy and with hope and with confidence, I I think Psalm 16 has a lot uh, to teach us today. And so with that in mind, let's go. We'll work verse by verse through it. Uh, In verses one through four, we're going to see that we can lean on God for his protection. Verses five and six, we'll see that we can trust God for his provision. And then in verses seven through 11, we will see that we can trust God for ultimate perfection. And so help us, Lord, trust you for protection, for provision, and for ultimate perfection. With that in mind, let's jump in. Scripture says, a mitkam of David. So we see who the author is, a song of David. Notice how he begins in verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And so we launch with the very first phrase in this psalm uh, with distress. The circumstance is difficult. We don't know exactly what it is. Was this when David was fleeing for his life? From Saul, we don't know. Was it when he was fleeing for for his life from Absalom, his own son? Uh, We don't know. Was it when he was in a cave hiding with thousands of people around uh, the cave looking for him to try to take his life? We don't know. But we know that he's in distress because he cries out to God and he he pleads for preservation. And, And then he puts his confidence in God by saying that in you I take refuge. I think it's interesting as we look at this, uh, this phrase, oh God, the Hebrew there is the term El. It's different than the term he's going to use in the next verse. Uh, but when we look of, think of El, it's communicating the mightiness of God. You think of El Shaddai, God Almighty. Uh, and so he's talking about God uh, in his kingly role, in his sovereign role. And then we'll see in verse two, he uses a different term for him, but he's highlighting the mightiness of God, I think, because he probably needs that, right? He's in a situation and circumstance, evidently, where he's in distress and he needs the mighty power of God to act on his behalf. It's interesting, as he talks about God, then he says, in you, I take refuge, I like that. He, he doesn't try to figure it out himself. He doesn't lean on other people. Uh, you probably read about David's mighty men and all the amazing accomplishments that they had, some of them killing hundreds of people at a time. And you would think, oh, well, he'll be safe with them. But David looks right past them to Almighty God. And he says, in God, I will take refuge. Not in a spouse, not in a parent, not in a friend, but in God Almighty. And so have you ever felt that way, that that, that you need God to intervene for you, that you need him to preserve you, that you need to find a refuge? 
And when you feel this way, do you flee and run to God, who is your refuge and your mighty fortress? Well, he continues on in verse two and he says, I say to the Lord, now you'll notice that all caps, right? Different. That's the the covenant name, Yahweh uh, or Jehovah, depending on how you point the vowels in Hebrew. But, But it's that covenant name by which he introduced himself to his chosen people, Israel. And he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. He says, I say to you, Lord, you are my Lord and I have no good apart from you. As he takes his refuge in God, he calls him El. And as he confesses him to be Lord, he calls him Yahweh. David is acknowledging God as both his sovereign and his savior, as both his king and his father. And that's true for us as well. He's the sovereign king sitting enthroned in heaven, but he's also our good and gracious heavenly father who has adopted us into his family, taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into his glorious kingdom of light. And he continues, David does, and he says that he has no good apart from God. Do do, do we recognize that in in our normal existence today? Do we see that, that that ultimately our only good is in God and our only hope to do good is in God? We're told in John chapter uh, 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we believe that? Do we know that? Do we live that? In our, in our minds and in our hearts, that God is our only good. He continues in verse 3 and says, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. When it talks about the saints, that term is kadosh. It literally means holy ones. They are the ones who are set apart. They are the ones that are called out. They are the ones that are distinct in the lands. They are also the excellent ones, the great ones, the majestic ones. He's talking about other believers. He's talking about other Christians. And I think it's interesting that he is delighting in taking refuge first and foremost in God, but not just that. He's also taking refuge in the church and in other believers, other brothers in Christ. And I think it highlights the importance of friendship and fellowship for all of us, but I think that's especially true probably for our teenagers and our youth, right? Finding good, godly friends. And, and ultimately, the purpose of those friendships is not to, uh, to have a great sense of humor and make us laugh. Uh, it, it's not to give us a word of encouragement when we're down. It is that, but it's more than that. It is how are they making us more holy? How are they encouraging us in our walk with God? How are they influencing our worldview so that we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind? We can't do it in our own strength. We need help. We need God and we need the church. We sang, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be what? Losing, right? We just sang it. If we try to live the Christian life in our own strength, we've already lost, right? Game, set, match, it's over. We need God and we need 
one another. And David delights in the excellent ones. But what about those that aren't serving Christ? What about those that aren't following God? Verse four talks about them. The sorrows of those who run after another God, they will multiply. Their drink offerings of blood, I will not pour out. I will not take their names on my lips. And so it's interesting that, that David is saying, okay, so I've got these, these uh, called out ones, uh, the saints, the excellent ones that I'm, I'm investing in and I'm pursuing, but, but there are a lot of other ones out there. And, and it's like you can see David's heart. He's grieved because he says, ultimately, as they follow after other gods, it's going to lead to sorrow. And not just that, but their sorrows will be multiplied. He's saying, I'm not even going to associate with them. He talks about their drink offerings of blood. Isn't that disgusting? Especially for our kiddos. Can you imagine that? I mean, they've got cups with blood in it. That's disgusting, right? David's like, I'm not having any part of that. I'm not even going to take their name upon my lips. And so I think that's interesting for us as we think about, um, you know, how are we going as the church and as individuals, how are we going to engage the world? And how much are we going to engage the world? We sang earlier again, though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us, right? We got to understand in our culture, and this has been highlighted, I think, at least for me, as we've been going through our Sunday school, um, that in our society today as Christians, um, we're pilgrims, right? We're, we're, we're strangers and we're walking through a, a foreign land that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. Uh, and, and frankly, sometimes it's not safe for us. Uh, but I think we can be encouraged as we look at the church throughout the generations. Uh, uh, societies were not always safe places for believers. You know, that's true for Daniel. That's true for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, it's true for David as he's on the run. Uh, it's true in the early church uh, when they were persecuting Christians. Uh, and, and in some senses, it may be true for us today, and it may be more true for us in the years to come. But... We hope in God and his protection. And God will protect us. God will be with us. No matter what difficulties or hardships we're facing, he has promised that he will be with us in the midst of that. Now, as we embrace this and understand it, we've got to live by faith and not by sight, right? Because some of the names I mentioned before, you may be thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa time out, chaps. How, how, did God, how did God protect some of uh, those Old Testament saints, right? How did, how did he protect David when David's sitting in the cave with his life threatened with thousands of people trying to kill him? How did he protect Daniel when he was thrown into the lion's den? How did he protect Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown into the fiery furnace? How did he protect uh, the disciples, 11 of the 12 of whom were killed for their faith? How exactly is God going to protect me? And I think what we have to do is we have to understand uh, ultimately, it's not about him protecting our body on earth. It's about him protecting our bodies and souls in heaven for eternity. Now, it could include protecting us here on earth. It often does, but not always. May we have the resolute conviction that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had when they said in Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, 
be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. How do do we live as Christians in the but if not? We will serve and God will protect, but if not, we will remain yet faithful. By his grace, for his glory, we will remain faithful and trust ultimately that you will protect us, not just here on earth, but forever in heaven. God will protect you. But God will also provide for you, verses five and six. Look at how verse five reads. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Isn't that beautiful? I love the way that David phrases this. He says that God is my chosen portion, that he's my cup. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, God, you are the thing that I most desire. You are ultimately what satisfies me. You are what I delight in. And he says that, that um, God holds David's lot. And what he's saying there is, God, you are sovereign over what will bring me happiness, what will bring me joy, what will, what will uh, impact my future and my family in positive ways. David is saying, God, I can trust you. I can trust you with myself. I can trust you with my family. I can trust you with my future. And I know that the judge of all the earth will do what is right. He will provide for us. But again, living by faith and not by sight, does that mean that we will never be in want here on earth? I think this is, again, it often happens in earth, uh, here on earth, but ultimately what he's talking about is heaven, that he will provide for us in ways that we cannot uh, imagine in heaven. On earth, We're here to serve his purpose, his plan, and ultimately serve for his glory. Um, And that may be difficult. That may be hard at times. Again, we sang earlier that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, one of of my favorite, our family's favorites. And Martin Luther writes in there, back in the 1500s, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. What does that mean? You know, do we, do we realize what we're seeing when we sing that? When he says, let goods go, he's saying, Lord, take, take every material gift that you've given me. I don't care about that. Take it all away as long as your truth reigns supreme. But he doesn't stop there. That would be hard enough for the American church. That would be hard enough for me, right? That he takes away, you know, my, my Apple watch or my iPhone or whatever it is, right? Let goods and kindred go. What, what about if your family's struggling, right? Do you have a spouse, a parent, a child who's going through hardship, difficulty, health situations, whatever it may be? If the Lord calls them home early or unexpectedly? What, what about if your family's struggling, right? Do you have a spouse? a parent, a child who's going through hardship, difficulty, health situations, whatever it may be, if the Lord calls them home early or unexpectedly, are we able to give that up with with an empty hand and say, Lord, let my goods and kindred go. Even take my life, my life also. People may come after me and kill me as long as your truth abides. 
as long as my life is a testimony to your glory and to your kingdom. May we learn and may we reflect and may we live out lives that are preeminently, preeminently Christ-centered and gospel-centered. God is not here to meet our earthly needs. We are here to serve His heavenly kingdom. And we're living for eternity. And life now is just a breath. And the frustrations and the disappointments and the discouragements, as, as painful as they are and as real as they feel right now, they're just, but just for a moment. And then we have eternity. Verse 6 continues kind of this theme. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Isn't it interesting? David in distress, in hardship, when he's crying out and begging for God's preserving power, he declares that for him, the lines have fallen for him in pleasant places. I may be on the, the run. I may be hidden in a cave. My son may be trying to kill me. But all things considered, Lord, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And I'm scratching my head going, what? Right? I mean, does that make sense? How is, how is he saying, how is he able to get to that point? He continues on. In distress, by remembering and focusing on a beautiful inheritance. And, and I think that's, the secret, right? I think that is the key, that, that he's looking past the harsh and hard realities of the present and he's looking to the future and he's saying, I have a beautiful inheritance laid up for me in heaven and I will be with God forever. And when I'm there, I'll look back and this will just be a momentary blip on the radar. I'm looking at, at future grace that God has promised and that is what is giving me hope and empowering me to live now. May we learn to be content with what God has given us, with what He has given to us in His good providence. And may we not begrudge the hand of sovereign grace for not giving us more or for not giving us what we want. Lord, make us content with what You give us. We sang, Lord, Teach our songs to rise to You when temptations come our way. And when we cannot stand, we'll fall on You. Jesus, You're our hope and stay. Is that our hope? Jesus is the only answer, right? He's our only hope. He is what gives us the ability to endure, to stay. His grace and His glory. May we all cling to the great truth of Philippians chapter 4. Verse 19, that God will supply all of our needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God will provide for us. And ultimately, God will perfect us. We're struggling now. It's frustrating now. We're imperfect now. We're dealing with sin now. But one day, all of that's going to go away. And it's going to wash away. God will perfect you, verses 7 through 11. Look at verses 7 and 8. David says, I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. The Lord gives David counsel in the night through His Word, through the Spirit, through the church. 
He is giving David instruction. And, and that's how God does it. It's a means of grace ministry, right? He speaks to us through the word. He, he activates that word in our hearts and lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he encourages us in the community of faith with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I guess I ask myself the question is, you know, how is God guiding me? Is God guiding me? And is he guiding me through his word? Is he guiding me through the spirit? Is he guiding me through the body of Christ? May it be so. And then David sets before him God. And he says, I put God at my right hand, the position of honor. And he says, because God is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. He has a stability and a firmness, even in the midst of distress, that the world can't give and the world can't take away. It's the presence of Almighty God. And he sets God at his right hand. And when he does that, no matter what disappointments come, no matter what discouragements come, no matter what difficult, hard, dark providences come his way, he can stand firm. Because God is with him. And so may God guide us through his word, his spirit, his church. And may we, like David, seek to always set God before us at the right hand, that we would have stability. You know, I look at David and, and I, I, I'm asking myself the question, how in the world uh, does David operate with such a positive demeanor in the midst of such hardship? And he does it uh, oftentimes. He, he goes through periods where he's in despair and he's frustrating and he's questioning, uh, but he often comes back by the end of the psalm to a resolute confidence and joy in God no matter the circumstance. How does he do that? I mean, look, look at what he does here in verses 9 and 10. Therefore, my heart is glad. Now, remember, he starts out with crying out for preservation, right? But he says, therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. David is here in the midst of difficulty experiencing a deep, profound joy, even in the midst of that distress. David feels confident and safe even in the midst of a distressful situation which is causing him to cry out and beg for perseverance. How is he doing that? He is looking to eternity and he is confident in God's ultimate eternal salvation. He knows that his soul is not going to be abandoned. He knows that he is not going to end up in Sheol. And so he has strength and hope and joy and confidence. His hope ultimately is in God's perfect faithfulness. It's not in his own finite faithfulness or lack thereof. We sang earlier, right? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And then that cry, here's my heart. Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Our hope is God. It's not us. It wasn't for David. It's not for me. And it won't be for you. Our hope is God, his work, his promises, his goodness, and his glory. And David brings it to this climactic conclusion in verse 11. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand 
our pleasures forevermore. Again, you see how he's looking past the here and now to heaven. And and he's he's looking at that promised future grace. And then he's looking back at his circumstances now and his life now. And he says, now it makes sense, at least on some level. There's there's still going to be questions, right? But what gives me hope to live today is God's promise for tomorrow. That is the source of David's strength. That is the source of his unquenchable joy and his confidence in God, that God has made known to David the path of life, not just life on earth, but life eternal. And that's our source of joy and confidence as well. God is at work in us and that he has promised to perfect that work. Philippians chapter one, verse six says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion or perfection to the day of Christ Jesus. God is going to make right all wrongs. God is going to bind up every wound. God is going to wipe away every tear. God is going to make sense of every mystery. God is going to bring perfection. There's a story of uh, early American Indians and how they would train their young braves. Kiddos, this may be of interest to you. 13 years old, what they would do is they would take him out and they would blindfold him. Now they've already taught them uh, how to hunt, how to scout, how to fish. And this would be the final test. They would blindfold him, take him out in the darkness of night, take him about three miles out into the wilderness, away from the security of the tribe and their family and have them spend the night all alone by themselves for the first time. And as this is described, they would say on this night, that young uh, boy or girl would be blindfolded, taken several miles away. And when they took off the blindfold, they would realize that they were in the middle of a thick woods. Often they would become quickly terrified. Every time a twig snapped, they would visualize a wild animal lurking in the darkness, ready to pounce upon them. And after what seemed like an eternity, dawn would break and the first rays of sunlight would enter into that interior forest. They would begin to look around and they would see some flowers. They would see trees. They would see an outline of a path by which they could get home. And then, to their utter astonishment, they would behold the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a bow and an arrow. And it would be their father. And he was with them the whole night. And they were safe. And I think that's true for us as well. That uh, whatever difficulties or hardship we're facing now or will be called to face, that we have our Heavenly Father with us. And He will protect us. He will provide for us. And He will perfect us. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we confess that we need You. That You are our one defense. That You are our only righteousness. 
that you bled and you died for us. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that your justice has been, has been satisfied in the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would hold us fast and that you would help us learn a little bit more each day how to trust in you. Lord, hold us fast. For we ask this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who even now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen and amen.